Welcome to Sinner Saint Sister. I'm Allison Sullivan, and this is a podcast about sometimes saving the world and sometimes just surviving in it. In the next hour or so, we will nurture our friendships, explore our joy, shake our fists, all while trying to serve our God, and most likely, all while wearing pajamas. I hope you hear something that lets you know you are loved and helps you love one another. Welcome to Center Saint Sister. Social justice is not a hot new topic made relevant by politicians or social media or hashtags. Social justice is a topic that is near and dear to our God and always has been. And we know this because all throughout Scripture we see it. In the Old Testament, there are so many laws and rules about how to treat the vulnerable. The prophets of God confront kings over this topic again and again. And of course, social justice is embodied in the life and ministry of our Savior, Jesus Christ, as he goes out of his way to care for the stranger, the orphan, the widow, the refugee, the foreigner, and the poor. Trying to separate social justice out from the gospel makes as much sense as trying to separate out evangelization or prayer from the gospel. Social justice, being our sister's keeper, it makes sense as we commune with God because a person in right relationship with God will begin to ache for the world that he created and loves to be set right. And I don't mean to make any of this sound easy. Knowing right from wrong, identifying the vulnerable, being obedient, those all might be simple things, but they are not easy things. I found this verse that was initially discouraging in Proverbs. That's not why I'm going to share it with you. (laughs) I won't be discouraged alone. But the verse said this. It said, Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. And maybe I'm jerky, but I read that and was mad because I thought, completely, Solomon? Really? Because I think this is a terribly confusing time to be alive. The world feels chaotic, and I don't understand anything completely. And even if I do feel like I have some inkling on where God's heart is on an issue, I have felt my own heart hide. I have experienced my own mouth close and a desire to protect myself or to remain comfortable. Completely but we can look again at what it says. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. So in other words, those who seek the Lord, those who seek Jesus, understand justice completely. Okay, Solomon, you're telling me I need to seek Jesus, and then justice will make perfect sense. We look to our Savior to know how to organize, how to live our lives, and we see that Jesus loves everyone to the point of dying for their sins. But in his ministry, he went out of his way to intentionally help specific groups of people. And in doing so, Jesus boldly confronted systems of injustice. Jesus did not play by the rules of his culture. Women? He gave them unprecedented dignity. Social outcasts? He challenged the unkindnesses that ostracized them. Race relations? He called out prejudice by making Samaritans and Gentiles the good guys in his parables. And then he made all of these people his friends. The weak, the hungry, the sick, the excluded, the cast aside. Could we let a Holy Spirit convict us here? The weak, who is it that needs defending? The sick, who is it that needs healing? The excluded, To whom are we saying no? 
not you, the lonely. Who is it that we have forgotten? The oppressed. Who is it that is not getting a fair shot? Whoever it is, the individual, the group of individuals that the Holy Spirit may have brought to mind, whoever it is, we can be sure that Jesus would be ignoring any negative consequences on his reputation to make them feel seen and loved. Jesus, while on the cross, said, I thirst. And when I meditate on that alone, when I'm in the right space and frame of mind, it can completely undo me. Jesus was thirsty. Without food or drink or sleep since the Last Supper, he was needy. He had lost a lot of blood. He was in excruciating pain. He was in mental anguish. And in his desperation, he was expressing this most basic of needs. And in my meditation on those two words from him, I've had the devastating realization that there's nothing I can do to help Jesus get what he needed then. That moment has passed. I can't help Jesus on the cross. But those prayer times that usually lead to this, something else Jesus said. He said, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then I say, I say, Lord, when? When did I see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did I see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did I see you sick or in prison and visit you? And then Jesus answers me this. He says, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And I realize that maybe I'm not so helpless after all. Friends, there are things that are keeping us from distributing the love that he gave first. And I don't know what those things might be for you, but I do know that nothing can change until it becomes what it is. So can we be honest? Can we be kind and gentle with ourselves because then maybe we'll be able to come to the truth a little easier that way? If social justice is about setting the world right, it is not enough to let someone in in traffic even though we're in a foul mood and call it sacrificial love. What are the things that are keeping us from living on mission? If we are striving to live a holy life, sitting around and talking about Jesus with our smart friends, it's not enough. We have to live out the gospel he proclaimed too. The reason our Christianity isn't changing the world isn't because we're not sitting around and talking about it enough. We're doing that. The world is not changed by our Christianity because we are not doing what Jesus did. And Jesus brought us a new way to live. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth. He is Lord, not was Lord. So thy kingdom come. We say that. We sing that. We pray for that. We might even fast for that reality. But for it to have any meaning at all, we have to spend some time thinking about what heaven will be like. And then start living that now. Again, can we let a Holy Spirit move here? Can we close our eyes and take a deep breath and consider what is it that will be abolished in heaven? What is it that will be maintained in heaven? What is it that will be restored in heaven? In this episode, I sit down with my friend, Destiny Hernandez La Rosa, founder of New Wave Feminists. She's a spirited pro-life activist and my dear friend, She persists in speaking out for unborn victims unable to protest their fate. She advocates for women addressing the root causes that drive women to abortion. She works tirelessly to bring more peace, understanding, conversation, and conversion to the conflict of abortion. And she uses all of her gifts to create a culture of life where abortion isn't just illegal, but is unnecessary and unthinkable. You're going to love this conversation. 
Hi, Destiny. Hello. I'm so glad to have you. I'm so glad to be here. So I'm here with Destiny. She's a pro-life activist and founder of the pro-life organization New Way Feminist, frequent contributor, the Dallas Morning News, and an interesting friend of mine. I don't know how or when, like I can't put my finger on it, but all of a sudden you were just all up in my feed. <laughs> I have a tendency to do that. Just like go in and take over. Yes. You were just all up in my Facebook feed. And what I loved about the way that you talked and wrote is that you were candid and you were forthright in a way that felt really intriguing to me because you were saying really bold things, but you were doing it with conviction and humor. And I just could not get enough of you. And one of my favorite things about people is when they call them like they see them. And you were calling them like you saw them and you dished out criticism, but then you took it too. And so I just felt like you fought fair, you know, in in like the dumpster fire of (laughs) social media. I just felt like you were, you were bringing something completely different. You checked yourself, not just by the way, the internet, you know, in general, but also then to, to pro-life conversations, you know, you, you just brought something um, a little different. And as I followed along, more and more and the more I read and the more I got to know you and you know you share personal stuff too I was like oh I need to really like hug her in a very spirited way like (laughs) with consent of course (laughs) the funniest thing is I'm a super anti-hugger I hate hugging so much but because of this movement and being around people like finally I'm just I've I've made peace with it yes and so I was speaking uh, at a college up in Connecticut recently and afterwards this woman came up to me and I could tell she wanted to hug me and so I hugged her first I I made the first move and she's like oh my gosh, I can't believe you just hugged me. That means so much to me. And I was like, oh, my hugs are more important than See, the average that's person. Right. That's I'm right. That's right. When you're discerning with them, they matter a little more. It's a good tool. Um, okay. So then you were coming down to College Station and I saw that you were on your way and I was, you know, hey, do you have an extra 30 minutes? And you said yes. I was like, get out of here. And so of we, course I said yeah. I mean, that's one of my favorite <laughs> things about running this group is I get to meet fascinating, interesting people that it's are so cool. changing the culture. Yeah. Now I'm just so glad that you made time that. for me, dude. Oh, that's so nice. And so we just had a spirited conversation and um, you listened to the podcast on the way home. And anyways. And it was fabulous. Oh, thank you. I loved it. Yeah. Um, so it's funny because I was actually with, this was so random. I was with the girl, the episode that you listened to, I was with her and all of that, we're at a conference together and all of a sudden my phone starts blowing up with like all these notifications. I'm like, something's up with my Facebook, like something's going on. I'm like, oh my gosh, Destiny just shared our episode. And so she and I are squealing in the back of an Uber. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. It It was was, a solid episode. It was very, it was was very thought provoking. And I am not a religious person, but we have a lot of religious followers. And so it's very much in our wheelhouse, too, to just offer a different conversation. You know, what's happening in their churches, the type of language that and and questions that they need to be using and asking. I think um, that that episode delivered all of that. Yeah. Well, thanks. I love that you listened Um, and shared. So, okay, let's start with feminism, because feminism, it's it's been a buzzword for a long time. And it seems like everyone has an attachment to it in one way or the other. And um, sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's bad. And maybe part of the problem is that there's never really one nice, neat definition for feminism. There's not one person to look to and be like, yes, this, no, this. And so it's taken on a lot of forms and a lot of them aren't that flattering. 
So let's talk about your feminism. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. I think that's why for me, I boil it down to the simplest, like the Webster's Dictionary version of feminism, yeah. right? Like yeah. this is a movement about equality between the genders. Like this is this is saying that I want women to have all of the same rights and opportunities that men do. And so one of the, I think, funny things that we see happening in society is you'll have a celebrity who comes out and says, you know, I'm not a feminist. And immediately they're just torn apart. Like, how dare you? The only reason you're even able to do what you do is because of, you know, Susan B. Anthony, <laughs> like, right? Uh-huh. I mean, like, that's the response. But then as soon as she will say something like, well, I just, you know, maybe I don't, maybe I don't agree with abortion. Maybe I'm pro-life. Right. Then they're immediately told that they're not a feminist that's what happens to us all the time and so it's like okay is it a big club that everybody should be a part of or is it actually a very specific club that only certain women can be a part of yes yes I love that I love that wide definition um and the loose label that allows us to be exactly who God intended um and so who can how could you how could anyone ever disagree with equality of women Equality I mean, of the I'm dignity saying. of women. I mean, I how is everyone not a feminist? But when it's taken are. on this, you know, it, when it when it's taken on to mean man hater, right? When it's taken on to mean abortion pusher, um, or rejecting motherhood, or rejecting staying at home, and people want distance from that. I mean, I understand that. Well, let's to- get back to the basics. I totally understand <laughs> that. And I think that that's the heart behind New Wave Feminist and why I felt like we needed this space, right? Like we needed a space for women who are pro-life. We needed a space for people who um, have wonderful husbands. And, you know, I joke all the time that, yeah, I talk about patriarchy. That doesn't mean all men. It's systems yeah, of oppression. It's systems. I yeah. love men. I have made two men with my body. Like, it's <laughs> one of my proudest accomplishments. And I want a movement that. that my sons can be a part yes. of too, that they can yes. be advocating for women and lifting women yes. up with their privilege like why are we not um the mainstream in in my mind like i think it's the most consistent and obvious one that as women we were treated as property for most of history so the idea that through our rights and liberation we are going to treat anyone else like property it doesn't make sense it's inconsistent and so i won't pass that down to an unborn child i'm not going to put that on male children like these are all these are all the people, the allies, the people we need in this fight to keep a true, authentic feminist movement that's based in equality and human rights going. And uh, and it doesn't work when we make it a really small tent. That's right. Ah, when you talk, I shimmy. <laughs> yes. Okay, so let's move to pro-life because reproductive rights always gets thrown into what makes someone a good feminist or a bad feminist. It's like, are you doing it right? There seems to be an issue that's usually a litmus test for how well you're performing some other you know, larger issue. So let's talk about the intersection of, of pro-life and, and feminism for a second. Yeah, I think that, you know, the original, the the first movement, the suffragists, they were anti-abortion, many of them were, and they saw it for what it was, that this is a way that males are going to exploit women, that they're going to use women and then basically leave them with the consequences of their fertility, and I don't align myself with a lot of the first wave feminists because they were also kind of racist, as a lot of people back then were, right? And so then you go into the second and third waves where we see the sexual revolution and we see people who suddenly are just like, this is the golden calf of the feminist movement is abortion access. And I have a problem with that because I see a lot of patriarchy, you know, um, accommodated in that mindset, right? Like people always, so first of all, my group, We always say we don't focus on the laws. We focus on the culture. I think that laws follow culture. And until we understand the human dignity of the unborn child, until we're supporting women so well that abortion's unnecessary, like, I don't know that any laws would be enforceable. So that's just not our focus personally. And so whenever I'm talking to somebody who 
you know, I tell them I'm a pro-life feminist. They're like, that's an oxymoron. That's not a thing. And I try to kind of give them my spiel. I always say, it's not that we're taking anything away from you. Because I think a lot of pro-choice feminists feel like we're taking away their right to abortion. What we're trying to do is show you all of the things that have been taken away from you since 1973. Because living in a society that uses abortion as a band-aid, it allows our culture to not accommodate female fertility in so many ways, in the workplace, in academia. You know, there is this just national hostility towards pregnancy and fertility in so many ways because if you opt in to pregnancy right like that's the way it's viewed you had the choice to have an abortion you chose not to so you have now made your bed and you have to lie in it and we see that happening all the time where accommodations aren't made on college campuses for pregnant and parenting students where women aren't given um, you know and men aren't given paid parental leave after the birth of a child where we don't have things like lactation rooms and changing tables set up you know we don't have uh, affordable child care we don't have any of these like systemic support systems that would actually allow women to choose life and that's where our focus is and I think the beauty in that is a lot of pro-choice feminists actually come alongside um, the ones who are truly living out their convictions like if you are pro-choice that means you're not just pro-abortion so let's talk about the other choices that we agree on um, and let's work together on those and and a lot of them are willing to do that which is really awesome right so okay so so abortion as a band-aid we cannot understand the solution if we don't understand the problem and I was reading something recently and it said the number one reason that women get abortions is because the repercussions of work and school would be unbearable so as we not just focus on I I think that we have a tendency to focus on supply right but not demand because that's easier Um, supporting life or a culture of life it's infinitely more complicated than just outlawing abortion Right. And so um, I, I think that as we take on all these fronts, whether it's healthcare, paid maternity, paternity education. leave, education, yeah. you know, when we take on all these things, all the things that might be underneath abortion, I think critics are saying we can't win. We can't win that way. We can't fight on all these fronts and win. What do you have to say to that? That's the only way we win. <laughs> that is that is the only way we yeah. win. And I think years ago, there was a pro-life group that came out with this illustration, and it was the SS Pro-Life. So it was this huge, like, battleship, right? And it had all of these tankers on it, and it said immigration, death penalty, war, um, human trafficking, abortion. And it was sinking because there were too many issues on the SS Pro-Life. And I had this kind of, like, visualization in my head, this, this realization of what we're doing that if you look at the pro-life issue as a balloon, and and in the middle of that balloon is a dot that represents the laws, right? And we are laser focused on the laws. That laser is going to pop that balloon. And what's going to happen when it pops? Then abortion goes everywhere. It's in every part of our society, right? Like we cut off supply, but we don't address demand. Then now abortion is definitely happening in doctor's offices and all types of other places because society hasn't humanized the unborn child. We haven't done our job in that way. And so... It now is completely unrestricted and under the radar, and we know that they're happening because, again, the the desperation that a woman facing a crisis pregnancy feels, that hasn't changed. Those needs haven't been met. And so we, we just pop that balloon. And the more that I started thinking about this cheesy like balloon analogy and how my ideal balloon would be 
changing the abortion issue, the abortion balloon into a life culture issue and making it more holistic, right? Right. Like completely shifting cultural consciousness and how we view it. And then I started thinking about all of these tankers on the SS pro-life. If they were filled up with balloons rather than stones, the way that the pro-life movement views it, it would add to our buoyancy. And that's what I see happening in real life. Like I see that when we become a light that is exposing, like like our laser focus is now fractured and we are a light that's exposing all of these injustices, all these human issues, and we see them for what they are, it actually elevates the pro-life issue. Right. It, it relates them all together so that people can understand, like, because I care about the migrant, because I care about the person person on death row, because I care about the woman who's been trafficked, that is why I also care about the unborn child. Right. Like It is all about inherent human dignity. Sanctity of life, yeah. So wh- what about this criticism? I read this recently, and, and it, it, it gave me pause. It made me tilt my head and furrow my brow. But it, they were saying, someone was arguing that um, they were likening abortion to slavery. So they're saying slavery is wrong. Abortion is wrong. And it doesn't matter what is underneath these atrocities. They're wrong. Get rid of it. What do you have to say to that? I mean... I mean, just a lot of your last answer kind of... I, I well, feel like it. no, but it, I, I think it goes beyond that because, yeah, you see people relating it to other issues, and I understand the desire to kind of create those connections, but at the same time, this is a very unique and different yeah. thing. Like, this is a body inside of our bodies. And I think as a pro-life movement, we have to acknowledge that. When people are saying, you know, my body, my choice, like, it is your body, but it's a body inside of your body. And there's some nuance there. And And your autonomy is on the line as well. And we are talking about non-violent That distinction isn't confusing to me. It's it's not polarizing, right? It doesn't keep us fighting. And so, like, we, we, for some reason, just have these blinders on and can't acknowledge the, the nuance of the situation. And so when I see people compare it to something like slavery, though, I think what we have to realize is yes slavery was abolished but at the same time we see the repercussions from it everywhere in society Uh, anyway we see this massive incarceration rate among people of color we see ways that they're still systematically being oppressed and so it didn't solve the problem just making slavery illegal and I think the same would be applicable to abortion it's not necessarily just going to solve the problem it's going to create new problems and more stealth uh, problems that then we're going to have to go in and figure out a way to to combat because again you aren't getting to the root of humanizing human beings yeah yeah um as i've learned more about race and learned more about racism and learned more about systemic racism um i'm very much a student obviously um but as i've become a student myself i have um aside from listening to people of color unless you have made yourself a student on the topic there's nothing you're going to pick up from mainstream culture to help you with this this is a very nuanced conversation and i think you're right that that it's similar in the complication <laughs> you it know is, it's of, something it's something where it's like i think especially when it comes to racial issues we have to go out of our way to educate ourselves we right. have to go out of our way to break down that white privilege because we are so seeped in it it's it's the air we breathe exactly. we don't even realize it and unless you have somebody who takes the time to explain to you like there's an issue here. Read this, do this. Like, it's not my job to educate you, educate yourself, yes. but here's the ways you can do that. And I was really lucky to have people around mm-hmm. me who, who kind of showed me that and seeing the correlation, um, between these two movements, seeing the activism in both of these movements that you have, you know, um, racial justice movements and you have anti-racism movements, right? Which are two different things. And similarly, you kind of see the same dichotomies in the pro-life movement as well, yeah. where you have, um, 
compassionate movements. You have ones that are built on addressing supply. You have others that are more forceful and kind of in your face. And I don't know what what the solution is. Maybe both of them are the solution. Maybe we need to be having this conversation in a much broader uh, arena where we're really playing the tapes forward and thinking through like, okay, if you make this law, how does it affect women? If you, you know, instead of making a law that just criminalizes abortion, why don't we make laws that actually support women? Why don't we have policies that actually support women? Because ultimately, I think the one thing that most of us, I mean, the vast majority of people agree with, is that no woman wants an abortion. Even if she just doesn't want to spend the $500 on it, no woman wants an abortion. And if we know that, why do we have to choose between, um, you know, these two extremes where, mm-hmm. where we have a lot of like the Democratic presidential candidates, for example, right now, they act like they're giving away tickets to Hawaii when they talk about yeah. abortion. Like, yeah. we're going to give women the right to terminate up through all 40 weeks of her pregnancy. Like, what woman wants that? Right. Like, And I think right. we have to ask ourselves that. Is the system broken? Is there not enough that we're doing for women? And I think when we truly support them, when we truly humanize their child, when they know that they have this system that is going to say you don't have to choose between going to college and having your child or having your dream job or having a successful relationship, like, you get to have it all. Like, that should be what feminism is about, right? I think when we create that society, it works so far beyond making abortion illegal. It makes it unnecessary and unthinkable. And I think that's too big of a dream and too big. Of a goal for it's a, a god-sized dream it's a god-sized dream and we can work together speaking of working together okay so so i love life i love being a mom i love being pregnant i think that all life is sacred and this is fundamental to my faith i mean personhood is sacred and i feel like all pro-lifers i mean you say that and yet we're still we're all still here we're all we're all still together but i feel like there are some internal hurdles in the movement and i'm curious your thoughts on this because i feel like a lot of the debate comes from trying to decide who it is that's actually oppressed so is abortion about the personhood of the preborn or is abortion about the care of women so abortions aren't necessary so I think a lot of times within the movement, it's like, well, well, who is it that we're advocating for? Um, Can you speak to that varying focus and how that might potentially divide us and create culture wars in the movement? Yeah, I mean, I think that what we've said for a long time is that you have the feminist movement, which is focused on the woman. You have the pro-life movement, which oftentimes is focused on the unborn child, not exclusively. We have so many organizations that are there to help the woman. But when push comes to shove, you see the, the unborn child elevated a little more. They are the innocent bystander in this. They did not even consent to exist. And so we feel more loyalty to them, right? And it has taken years of genuinely training myself and being just cognizant of this and aware of this to make sure that I always humanize the woman just as much as I humanize the unborn child. Mm. Uh, I was recently at the Women's March on Washington this year, and I took my 18-year-old son, who I got pregnant with when I was 16. And he he's a good kid, and I want him to have my pro-life passion, you know, and he kind of plays video games instead, which is fine. Like, he's 18. And so... Mm. Uh, I, but I took him to the March for Life, and then the next day we went to the Women's March, and I didn't realize that I was setting him up, because I make my kids my assistants all the time, and just have them do stuff for me. So I had him holding, this 18-year-old white male, holding this stack of signs that said, I'm a pro-life feminist, to hand out to the people marching with us, and like, gosh, like the target that I put on this kid, right? And so this older woman just comes charging up to him, oh gosh. and I'm like, no! <laughs> <laughs> and I see her walk up to his face, and she goes... 
what is it that makes you think a fetus is more important than a woman? And every mama bear instinct in me wanted to jump in and like give her, you know, my, my perfect, you know, Uh 18 paragraph like Uh reason for Uh why that's not the case. Manifesto. But I decided to step back because I actually was genuinely curious, like, what's he going to say? Like, has, has he learned anything? Has any of this rubbed off on him? Cause I've been trying real hard. Right. And he looked at her and in response to her question, what makes you think a fetus is more important than a woman? He said, not more important, just as important. Mm-hmm. Like in a handful of words, he said yes. something that I would have again, yes. gone on and on about yes. like he got it. And I, just step back and I was so proud of him and I was like this woman has no idea she's talking to the fetus she's talking to a kid who very well could have you know Mm. been a potential abortion had it been someone else who was pregnant with him and that was such a beautiful moment for me because that's exactly our message not more important just as important and Everyone in the movement has to wake up to that. Yes. And it's not going to come naturally because a lot of us want to be right. baby savers and have that fetus tunnel vision. Don't you feel like we have to train our brain to and both? Yeah. I feel like our brain kind of naturally goes to either or. I feel yeah. like that's yeah. the, the knee jerk. A hundred percent. And I, I, again, I think it's just being cognizant of making sure, you know, I think a really practical way to do that is when you have groups that are standing outside of the abortion clinic and I'm talking about the peaceful ones who are out there praying and offering resources. And we have a lot of those in Texas that do a really amazing job, Yes. but they have limited volunteers. They, uh, a lot of times will just go out there for abortion hours. And so they basically stand there as women are driving into the clinic and they're offering help and they're being loving and compassionate. But oftentimes they can't stay the full day for for the rest of the procedures and for mm. women to be coming out. Mm. And so what I noticed when I was doing sidewalk work is that if a woman goes in with a child and sees us there to support her and love her, and then she comes out without a child, right. and suddenly we're not there to support right. her and love her, that yeah. is a very real... I think mm-hmm. kind of sign mm-hmm. that maybe we weren't there for her. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that's anyone's intent. I totally yeah. understand. It's like, yeah. it, it really comes down to the, the logistics of it in volunteer sure. hours, but making it a point to have one or two women who stay after for the girls hmm. who are coming out. We know that we have a really high rate of repeat abortions. Like you might not have been able to help her with that child, but maybe you can help her with her next child by showing her that you love and care about her just as much as the unborn child. Yeah. You know, there's this article that came out recently and it has nothing to do with this, but it, it's reminding me of it. But it was talking about casseroles, the idea of casseroles. And so if you are, if you have the flu, if someone has passed away, you're going to get a casserole because it's nice and neat. That's tidy. Like you didn't, you didn't take that on. You didn't do anything to deserve or to deserve the flu or, or the loss of a loved one. But if you're struggling with mental illness or if you've gotten a divorce, there's no casseroles. Mm. And so the idea is that, well but it might have been your fault. <laughs> but maybe you've made some poor choices and so no casserole for you. So there's there's the contingency, you know, of, of what we deserve. I, I think that we have, a, um, it's a natural inclination to just gift the blameless, yeah. you know, to just yeah. advocate for the blameless. Yeah. And so what I feel like, because I feel more drawn, just the way God made me, I feel more drawn to advocate for the woman but if I could advocate for the woman while you advocated for the baby, I feel like this is a cake and icing situation and together we could completely clean the plate. Like you're an icing person. 
great. The Lord pierced your heart for that. Go do that. Sameness makes me lose my absolute mind. Mm-hmm. I cannot stand sameness. So take however it is that God has bent you. You have a bend. We all have a certain bend. This is what makes me feel passionate. This is what makes me feel alive. This is what he means by my burden is light. This is exciting work that you get to go do. If I could cheer you on in that and you could cheer me on in that, I think together we could really, you know, do some culture changing things. I believe it. That would fill in all the cracks, right? If you have people who are there for just, and and I've joked for a long time that the pro-life movement needs an aptitude test. Like there are so many people in the wrong job in this movement or the wrong activism place. You know, if you are angry and so upset about abortion, maybe don't be the person standing in front of the clinic. Like you are not cut out for that. We need a calm in the storm outside of the clinic. Great. You can be the person rallying the troops and building people up. Like there's still a place somewhere. Yes. Your passion is good. Freaking please don't go out in front of the clinic. Right. There's so many people in this movement who want to do something and want to use their passion and their gifting and their talents, but they're being applied in the wrong positions in the movement. And so I think being really discerning and getting a lot of wise counsel from others, like, where do you see me in this? Where do you think my personal gifts would would best serve women and children um, is a great place to start before I think you pick your volunteer spot in this yeah, movement. Yeah, I feel, I don't know whether it was in person or online, but I feel like you and I have talked a little bit about this, but I want to talk how you would describe the state of the pro-life movement today and I don't feel like we can do that without addressing politics <laughs> yeah it's a hot mess <laughs> right it's, and so it's like the democratic mess. party is moving so left on abortion and I feel like people like you and me are political unicorns and so can we talk about politics a little yeah it's my favorite thing to talk <laughs> I know about. Right? I love me it. too yeah. it's so terrible I don't get enough on the internet so yeah. I definitely <laughs> I mean yeah it's hard for people who are in the middle who follow the consistent life ethic which is what I subscribe to it's a belief that human beings should be free from violence for the duration of their life, womb to tomb. There is no party for me. There's nobody who's opposing all forms of violence against all human beings. And it blows my mind because that's the most consistent, just like golden rule, basic level right. type belief. Right. And yet we don't have anybody that that supports that. And so a lot of people look at it chronologically. What is the very first thing we should address? Like the right to life, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Like right to life comes first. So I'm going to vote Republican. Like I have to, I, I have no other choice. And um, I think that the movement I discovered through my own personal experience by voting for a Democrat one time, one time, one time, um, was like ate me alive for doing this. But the funny thing was I kind of, I broke out of this mindset of this two party system and this belief that I had to vote one way for these people who oftentimes are just giving us lip service. And I... I have commented before that it feels like I unplugged myself from the matrix a little bit when I realized that no matter which side you're on, the government has a vested interest in abortion. It's much easier to subsidize a $500 abortion than it is to potentially end up subsidizing 18 years of a child's life. And by definition, this is an unplanned pregnancy. By definition, there is a likelihood that this child will need some sort of government aid. And if we know that and we have people who are not in relationship with these women at all, it's not, you know, community who's coming around her, but it's a government that's looking at the bottom line, there is a vested interest for abortion to stay legal. And I think that that's what we've seen happen is we have one side that's open about it. We have another side that gives it a lot of lip service. And I'm not saying there aren't truly authentic pro-life Republicans. I think that there are. But I think there's also a lot of people who know this is the platform. This is what I have to stand on. I'm going to give the lip service. I'm going to do the bare minimum. But nothing ever really changes because we aren't supporting women. We aren't doing the thing um, that we deem as liberal, right, which is creating these support systems and making sure that they're in place. 
I lean more libertarian probably than anything. I'm an independent, mm-hmm. but it's because I don't trust the government at yeah. all. Like, yeah. I, I don't think any of us should. And so if communities could come together and offer that support, if people of faith could come together and offer that support, like, please do it that way. It would be yeah. much more efficient and effective. But until we do, the government is going to be that safety net that helps women. And oftentimes when a woman comes in with a crisis pregnancy, the first thing pregnancy resource centers do is give her a proof of pregnancy signed by a doctor so she can go get on Medicaid. Like, we send them into that system. Mm-hmm. So until we're ready to create some sort of other system politics plays a role and it feels hypocritical in my opinion to vote republican just because they're anti-abortion but then be fine with the fact that they turn around and they start chipping away at these very same support systems and so last year there was a candidate running in texas and i told this really uh good friend of mine who's this huge pro-life leader that i was going to vote for this person and he looked at me and he said okay here's the deal you can do it, but do not tell anyone. And the second those words washed over me, I was just like, nope, that's not how I roll. Yeah. Like, nope. Not only am I going to tell people, I'm going to write an op-ed for the Dallas Morning News explaining exactly why I do this. And um, it ended up, someone like Reddit picked it up and it went viral. And before I knew it, like all of these pro-choice people who had only looked at pro-lifers in one light suddenly were exploring our thoughts and our consistency and our reasoning because I made it very clear. I don't think all pro-choice people are pro-abortion. I think a majority of them really haven't thought it through a lot right. and they think they're being kind and compassionate and pro-woman and ultimately if we know no woman wants an abortion here's how we create that and so while this candidate was extreme on his belief in uh, access to abortion like absolutely extreme I don't deny that for a second he was also extreme when he was talking about other issues that I cared about like the yeah. infant maternal mortality rate yes. among women of color yes. and so the fact that I had to choose who was more pro-life in this instance like Nobody was completely pro-life, but I did see somebody addressing the practical side of things, and they weren't a Republican. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter how clearly you state how vehemently you opposed you are to abortion. The second you question the effectiveness of mainstream pro-life movement, I mean, people are, like, out to get you. And I I, I feel like um, there are a lot of people quietly rethinking pro-life pro-choice right now. And for me, using the adherence to Republican politics as a litmus test to determine how pro-life I am, it just makes me feel rebellious altogether. And so I feel really drawn to another party's wider, broader values. That's what, I mean, I was talking to one of my board members, like, we've got to start the Human Dignity Party. And she even wrote a preamble for it. And it's it's a party of consistent life ethics. And there's a couple out there that are attempting to do it right now, but they're very seeped in religion and kind of anti-gay marriage and things like that. Mm-hmm. And for secularists like myself, like, that's just not going to work. Like, I, I want a libertarian, consistent life ethic type party, right? Like, I want something where we don't address social issues or what you're doing. Like, for the most part, stay out of your life. But our one goal is to protect human beings from violence. Mm-hmm. Like, if there was a party that, that had that structure, that skeleton, like, I think so many people are hungry for that right now. Yeah. It's just we can't break away from this two-party system as it is, and it's toxic, and I think that it causes such a cultural shockwave because what ends up happening is people who have good intentions, who normally wouldn't support certain things, now feel like they have to because of this blind allegiance to a particular party. That's right. So now they're justifying things that they probably don't even agree with, but because this is their identity, right? Like, this is who they are. I'm a Republican or I'm a Democrat, so I'm going to support these extreme things because I've been told that I have to because it's part of my identity now, and I think they don't even realize what all they're justifying. And for me, growing up in Texas, 
Texas and being pro-life, I was a Republican. I was actually on the board of the Golden Corridor Republican Women up in Dallas County. And like, I have this picture where I have my hot pink hair and my tattoos, but I'm wearing a cardigan and pearls as if I'm like somehow like undercover fitting in with them. Um, and I went hard for this and I found myself arguing against healthcare for people like me. I'm an uninsured woman who mm. literally got pregnant with a child that I had to have on Medicaid while being on the board of this very affluent Republican women's group. Yeah. And I just realized like as much as I want to agree with with so much of, of what they're fighting for when it comes to the human dignity of the unborn child, there were so many other things that were just seeped in systemic oppression of marginalized people and um, people who are struggling with poverty and things like yeah. that. And I couldn't be on board with it anymore. Yeah. And so when I finally left the Republican Party, like I remember thinking, I'm, I'm going to feel so alone. And the exact opposite happened. Like It was one of the most liberating things I ever did. Like Suddenly, I didn't have to defend anybody's bullshit anymore. Like I 100% could call it out wherever I saw it on both sides. Yeah. And I could praise both sides. Yeah. I could still do that. And through that, that I've found community with so many other independents right. who are on that same journey. And they're unicorns. They they are. And and I mean, but we're growing. Like we're not even gonna be unicorns eventually yeah, because yeah. you know, the last gut marker study that came out that basically said like millennials in general are yes. leaving institutions, colleges, churches, and political parties. We For don't want sense. yeah, I mean, we don't want to take on this identity that we didn't create ourselves mm. that isn't about justice and isn't rooted in the the social equality and equity of all people, right? Like so we're denouncing it and we're going out on our own and it's scary as hell but I'm so glad that we have the opportunity to do that and work through this um it just takes a little bit of boldness it takes right at the very beginning like you know just there there was this terrible movie I watched years ago called so we bought a zoo with Matt Damon or something like that it's one of my favorites (laughs) oh it's so horrible I love it you shush it right now (laughs) he talked about that moment of like 30 seconds of courage 20 seconds of bravery okay that's what it was I love you so much for this right now because I have repeated this one just Billion times. It's everything. It's everything. Man. It's everything. It's twenty seconds. It takes you have, twenty seconds to pick up a phone. Have that twenty seconds of bravery to just step away for a second. Do the and thing. Give give yourself a second to just sit in that, and you will see the beauty of not being stuck in a system yeah. that agrees with oppressing anybody. Mm-hmm. And the more people who are there, the more we can make a difference. Tomorrow, if everybody in this nation woke up and was independent, mm-hmm. could you even imagine what that would do to our system? Right. Like, politicians would actually have to do something to help people in order to earn our votes. Crazy wild idea. Shimmy. I'm shimmying again. <laughs> um, so, Catholic social teaching is incredibly intense. I... I'm Catholic, as you know, and I know that you don't practice religion in any conventional way, but I was at a banquet. It was a, a religious banquet, and something happened in this banquet, and I created a movie scene in my head as it was happening, and I want to know what your movie scene would look like. <laughs> so here's what happened. So a Christian leader is up on stage, and he's basically you know, finishing his talk by saying that if you are pro-life, if you are a committed Christian, this is what needs to happen. And the this was voting for certain people. Uh, conservative Republican equals Christianity mm-hmm. in, this, in this message that he was giving. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm kind of sitting on my hands. I'm squirming. I'm uncomfortable because how I feel is I am an adult who is a grown-up, and I love a God who invites me to wrestle with him. And I have been given permission by my church to vote my conscience. And until there is a candidate who is brave enough 
to run on every pro-life issue, you have nothing to tell me. The Holy Spirit has convicted you to vote for someone. Congratulations. That is your conviction. It is not mine. And then in the movie scene, did like the crowd rise up and like start? I don't know. I think I was standing there all alone and you could hear crickets and the music, like the record stops and all the things. In my my version of that movie scene, it would be that that part from Monty Python. Have you seen this where like the really big fat guy is at that restaurant and he's like, I can't, I can't eat anymore. And he's like, just a wafer, John Cleese, right? And then he explodes. That's what would happen. I would just eat a wafer and I would explode and cover everyone just with (laughs) my innards because I feel like that's what a room like that deserves. Um, I would think the band, like, you know, starts playing Sweet Child of Mine and Cascades (laughs) into Paradise City and I catch the guitar. I don't know. (laughs) No, I mean, I think that that we've all wrestled with that, right? Being told. And I think that that honestly is a really big part of the reason that I left the church because I was sick of pastors being politicians Mm -hmm. and having that preached from the pulpit talk to me about ideas not people not political parties Mm -hmm. like and I I just saw that especially here in Texas um it has permeated our culture and so I left the faith. I've been agnostic for the last two years, but I'm also in recovery for alcohol. And one of the rules is like, you have to have a higher power. And they say it can be the doorknob or the light bulb. It just, it has to be something. And so I have leaned into that. It's the reason probably I'm not a full-blown atheist. Like I do think that something's running this shit show. I don't know a better word for it. Um, And and I think that something- The world operates on more than just chaos. Right. Something something (laughs) has to be pulling these strings because I have participated in co-creation. I've had children, right? Mm -hmm. Like once you go through that, I think it's the most amazing experience. And Mm -hmm. to deny that there's something bigger than us that had something to do with that, like to me seems very arrogant. Like my stupid little pea brain couldn't fathom what, what could possibly be behind this. And that's why I feel very comfortable saying that I go to the church of I don't know. Like I'm agnostic. Like I, I, I feel this force. I think I interact with it from time to time. It might be my own brain and conscience and that's okay too. Um, But as I've been kind of dealing with this, like I think for me that rigid political um, talk from the pulpit was just something that I had to flee from because interacting with whatever this force is, I know that it's love. I know that it cares for people. I know that it seeks justice. And I wasn't seeing that reflected in the people I was around. And we talk about how, you know, well, the church is just a hospital for the sick. And I totally agree. But if everybody just keeps contaminating one another and the contagion is spreading and we're not actually getting any healthier, then I think that that's a problem. And that's what I see happening um, a lot here here in Texas, at least. And so stepping away from the church is really important to me. And I think... um, one of the other things that I did was I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to try out some other faiths at the end of the day. If I can't find my higher power in any of them, cool. I'm no worse off. And so I visited a mosque and, um, an LDS church and, uh, you know, basically anywhere where I have friends that go to them, I've asked if I could go. And (laughs) one of the first places I actually went was a black church in South Dallas. And this pastor uh, had shared pictures online with that one particular candidate that I was totally, like, you know, exiled for. And I thought, okay, that's weird. Like, it's not every day that you see this. And so when I went to his service, it was the week that Toni Morrison had died. And Mm. he um, 
first of all, the service itself was amazing. I was crying the entire time, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, I don't cry. That's mm-hmm. not a thing I do. So I'm like, what is happening right now? <laughs> what but is I, this liquid oozing it, it from my body? <laughs> so gross and embarrassing. But it was just there was something in that room, man. Like there was just so much love. Like every single person in that congregation mm-hmm. hugged me at least three times. Praise like God. it was, it yeah. was, yeah. So maybe maybe that's what fixed my hugging problem. Um, and <laughs> and they, there was just love and goodness. And he talked about justice, and he talked about what was going on at the border and he talked about all the issues that are breaking my heart every day and it was so refreshing it's like if one little nugget from that had made it into a mainstream sermon I would have gone to that church for probably five years but yet we don't see that anywhere and his church was packed with like hundreds of these examples and then he went through and took a passage from Beloved uh, by Toni Morrison and he compared Mm. it to a passage from the Bible and he intertwined them in the most powerful way I have ever heard I have chills all over I know I mean sobbing the entire time and it was actually the very first church after my two-year hiatus. And, and I'm a spiritual free agent, which running an organization that has a lot of Catholics, I have to say your people are like totally going after me hard. And they want me to come and I'm like, at this point... Oh, they're trying to convert you? Oh, yeah. Well, sure. I mean, they have since day one. But like of now, that I'm, we want you on our now team. that I'm openly a free agent, it's <laughs> happening more. But the fact that I feel like my spirituality now, if, that, if that's even what it's called, is rooted in this connection to this higher power and the idea of adding anybody else into that it's it's almost so sacred to me that I don't want to add other people into it I don't want other opinions telling me what that higher power believes or the way that it operates like I just want to keep walking in that for what it is and by the way when I told my mom that she was very relieved because she was definitely sure I was going to hell once I became an agnostic but she's like okay it sounds like maybe you have something and I'm like (laughs) trust me I feel at peace about whatever this decision is but um yeah so after 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 going to the black church first, though, I was just like, I can't pick the very first one I go to. (laughs) Like, that can't be the place that I go. But, oh, my gosh, if I was going to like that. Why not? God's efficient. It's a good (laughs) church. Like, I will definitely be going back to visit if I feel like I need spiritual community. Because right now, I mean, honestly, the the spiritual community I have is the rooms of AA, which you're not supposed to talk about on the radio. But this is a podcast, so maybe that doesn't count. Not totally Um, different. Okay, totally different. It's allowed. Um, But but being around other people who are like-minded who are building you up and trying to keep you on this like sober path and keep you connected to what they call the light of the spirit like that to me is beautiful and I do hunger to be a part of that in community but at the same time at this point like having an organized faith religion is just um I haven't found one that's a fit for me just yet yeah you do such a beautiful job of acting justly and loving mercy and walking humbly and so I just, as a friend, encourage your search. It's it's fun to watch. You do great work. Um, can we close with, well, maybe two things. What is some advice for us? Give us some advice. Give us some practical advice for how to do this better. So the two calls to action that I give to all the college kids that I talk to is, first of all, know what resources are available in your community. If you had, you know, if you're standing in the checkout line at Target and there's a woman behind you who you can tell has visibly been crying and she's holding a pregnancy test box, are you going to feel empowered to talk to her? 
most of the kids I speak to say no because they have no idea what to say. That's a really awkward situation, Mm -hmm. right? But if you had a little piece of paper in your pocket that had maybe a web address to a local site, it could be a blogger site, it could be, you know, a completely free website that just lists resources in your area and not just pregnancy centers, but WIC offices, Medicaid offices, shelters, food pantries, anything a woman facing a crisis, uh, pregnancy, or even just a crisis in her life might need. Uh, I, I think that would empower a lot of us because we would have something to give her of value. It wouldn't yeah. just be making the situation more awkward. Yeah. You can turn to her and you can say, look, I don't know if you might need this right now, but I happen to have this. Like, maybe check it out. That's it. And I think most people are willing to do that. So yeah. we have to get these resources together, whatever community you live in. And maybe you don't have a ton of resources, but you have a couple. Like, list them on a website. Write it down on a piece of paper. Carry it in your wallet. Like, something that you can give a woman that's tangible. And the second call to action I tell my students is go out for coffee with somebody who thinks completely differently than you not with the aim of changing their minds but for listening listen to them learn from them understand them better because it will make you a better activist take them out to coffee and then shut up ask them why they believe the way they believe and what they think and I think a lot of young people especially are so afraid of being turned right like I'm I'm pro-life now but it's kind of wobbly because I don't have all the apologetics or I don't have all of the right arguments to stuff like no if you believe in the human dignity of the unborn person you're going to stay pro-life don't worry about it I used to do a speaking tour uh, at college campuses where I would tell people like prove me wrong like tell me how I'm wrong I want to be pro-choice so desperately I have tattoos and purple hair and I had a septum ring at the time and I'm like I don't fit in with you weirdos like I know that I want to hang out with the cool kids please make me pro-choice like what's the silver bullet and nobody was ever able to give it to me so nobody's going to talk you out of being pro-life But you can grow your empathy and compassion for others when you listen to them and you understand how abortion might have played a role in their story somewhere along the way. Maybe, maybe not personally, but maybe it was their mother or their sister or their best friend. Like they are coming from a place of compassion. And when we humanize them and we understand that their heart's in the right place, even if their actions aren't, I think it makes us better activists and it makes us able to love them better. And it keeps us from dehumanizing them. And that is at the root of all of these issues is dehumanization. Dehumanizing the people you disagree with we dehumanizing cannot. the unborn dehumanizing the woman who- we cannot dehumanize others in our attempt to humanize the unborn it doesn't work that way yeah. we have to understand the human dignity of all people <sighs> so good god has equipped you in such mighty ways with elegant eloquence and passion and conviction um clarity of mind i'm just i'm really grateful for your voice right now i as <laughs> such a time as this girl such a time as this <laughs> Thank Are you, you Bibling so and agnostic? Yeah. Right now? <laughs> all right. You know it. I can't not. <laughs> I'll take it. People ask me all the time, like, can I pray for you? And I'm like, you know what? Oh, sure, I'll take it. I don't know if I believe in any of it, but at least combat whatever they're doing. Really. Oh, gosh. Thank you so much for being here. Thank I appreciate you, for you so much. Me. That was perfect. Dear God, your word tells us that without you we can do nothing, not some things, but no things. So we come to you in prayer to ask to renew our culture in its very heart. We come to you in prayer to ask for protection from violence in all its forms. God, giver of life, you love your creation. 
awaken in us reverence for what you have made. Renew in us a spirit of service that is ready to do what is necessary to sustain and nurture the precious gift of life. God of compassion, expand and deepen our hearts so that we more readily pour out the love and grace and mercy that you have shown us. By our compassionate and sincere concern about abortion, may the women who feel this is the only way know the love you have for them and for the children in your presence. May they enjoy you for all eternity. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And for this episode, a special thank you to Destiny Herndon de la Rosa. Follow New Wave Feminist on all your social media, and please consider them in your charitable giving. Thank you to Pamela Anthony Cutright and Chen Redfield for music. Center St. Sister now has a Patreon page. Please consider supporting Center St. Sister by searching for Allison Sullivan on Patreon.com. Many episodes are now only available for patrons. Send us your questions at CenterStSister at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at Allison M. Sully. Don't forget to review, like, and subscribe, and tune in next week.